You're listening to Music Tectonics. <laughs> Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the service of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a music tech and music innovation PR firm. And today we're doing something really fun. This is actually being recorded live at one of our seismic activity events online. Um, and it's the first time we've recorded a live audience uh, podcast. The reason we're doing it is it's our 200th episode. <laughs> right on time, Shayla. Yep. <laughs> so super excited to have this audience here and to, to uh, publish this podcast number 200. And again, it is a, um, it is a roundup of recent news. We really like doing this. It's just a fun way to sort of engage in the conversation about what's been going on in the music industry. So let me introduce our uh, wonderful guests. Uh, over here on my left is Eleanor Rust, our marketing director. Hello. You've probably gotten a lot of emails from me, but I don't get on camera very often. So and, nice to see you. And Eleanor has done tons of marketing for Music Tectonics, and she also is a lot of times doing some interstitials on our podcast as well. And in the distance over there is Shaylee Ankenbrook. Hello. I'm I'm excited to be here. You've also probably gotten several emails from me, so hope that's good. Shaylee's our conference planner at Music Tectonics. And then over there, right across from me, is Tristra New Year Yeager, the director of strategy at Rock, Paper, Scissors. Hello. <laughs> and she used to say she was the irregular host on Music Tectonics, but those of you who listen frequently know I might be the irregular <laughs> we, we Irregular try, in spirit. <laughs> we all try to be irregular. That's a, that's a Music Tectonics thing. So, uh, yeah, and those of you who are in the live audience, as we're having this conversation, we can see your chat and we can bring it up to bring as part of the conversation. So this is an engaged audience as well. And uh, <laughs> um, we'll jump into the articles and, and go from there. We really only have a handful of them, um, but we'll have a chance to, to talk about them a bit. So, Shaylee, why don't you kick it off? You picked out an article that I wanted to pick out, but you did yeah. it first. <laughs> yeah, I did pick it first, and it's by one of our favorite people in the industry, Mark Mulligan. The title of it is Forget Peak Netflix. This is the attention recession. And in the beginning, he chats about how media kind of identified that as the pandemic wound down, we would kind of return to pre-pandemic behaviors um, in the sense that like entertainment time would recede. And he has labeled this uh, the attention recession. So he points out that during lockdown, um, media time went up by 12%. But now that that's kind of, you know, now that the pandemic's rolling, closing to an end, you know, um, it's really having, having an effect on like Netflix specifically and those kind of platforms. Um, he chats about like how there's so much there's so much choice out there with all of these emerging platforms. There's HBO and Hulu and Netflix and Peacock. Um, and how now that we are declining our time that we're spending in front of a screen, um, those companies are really seeing that. Uh, and he also kind of talks about how traditional like, television companies and stuff they like lock you in to like a billing cycle they lock you in with a contract and for these like streaming platforms it's way easier to just cancel like one of your platforms or two of your platforms and for me specifically like I don't 
this is kind of embarrassing, but I use like my grandma's and my parents like streaming <laughs> platforms when it comes to like television. And the only one I don't is Spotify. And that's because it's bundled or I Hulu. And that's because it's bundled with Spotify, um, which yeah. is another thing he points out is that like we're going to see more bundling in the future. Um, and he, he also talks about how this hasn't really impacted the uh, music streaming platforms as much because we kind of tend to get all of our music from one platform. However, I did just subscribe to SoundCloud as well, um, which is really interesting because I subscribed to Cl SoundCloud because I was sick of the ads um, on the free model. And Mark chats about how like we're going to see a lot more ad based platforms arise in this space. So, yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting because I mean, he Mark did speak at our first uh conference, the Music Tectonics conference back in 2019 and as you follow him, he really did say this stuff before the the pandemic hit. And uh I don't know how he knows these things, but it does kind of make sense when you think about we were still transitioning to all this digital consumption, whether it's music or TV or even gaming. Um, you know, switching from from at some point from physical cartridges. Remember cartridges and games? <laughs> <laughs> what a stupid idea. <laughs> but it was the only idea, right? And as bandwidth has increased, we kept moving to this transition to digital. But um, but he uh, he could already see that it was coming, that eventually you're going to reach saturation. You know, he remember that first year he was talking about Netflix, talking about how their main competitor was sleep and Netflix was winning. <laughs> mm -hmm. So first we lost all our sleep. And once we got to the point where we couldn't lose any more sleep, what's happening is now there's this competition for attention. He, he remember he talked about um, window gazing <laughs> was the thing that was losing out more than anything, which meant in some ways our mental health <laughs> and creativity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, the the attention recession seems to impact things that can't be done while doing other things a little bit more. So I think Spotify's um, stock did take a bit of a hit, but it was nothing compared to um, the, the wailing and gnashing of teeth that occurred with Netflix. So, it, you know, in some ways we are shifting back to, I mean, an audio suffered at first during lockdown too. So um, maybe we're looking at a weird transition you know, bump when it comes to audio content. Though it'll be interesting to see what happens with things like e like uh, audiobooks, um, certain kinds of podcasts, etc. Speaking of podcasts, um, Facebook says no more podcasts. They've totally given up on the podcast. So that was an interesting piece of news. Um, it's always so strange how platforms will try to build up their creator community and then um, and then just sort of rug pull on them um, or decide they're going to change you know change tactics. Anyway, yes, that's, that's oh, go ahead, Eleanor. Uh, I just wanted to draw attention to a, a turn of phrase that I love, which is that um, in Mark's article, consumer attention is a scarce resource that must be won, not claimed, that you can't rely on being the background DSP. You really have to win your customers now. Yeah. And I know that, that leads to to actually kind of a boost in creativity and kind of wild chances, because I think uh, Disney Plus and HBO Max have really won out on um, highly creative, kind of off the wall um, uh, content, some of which has had fantastic music placements, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And he also talks about how now these kind of platforms are competing with like vid short video plot, like, you know, the attention is also now going to TikTok or Instagram Reels and these short form video platforms or social platforms. So like those are also taking away from the attention that Netflix used to have. Yeah. And, and it's super interesting to see what you thought 
or separate categories. I mean, in a way, when you shift the conversation away from like, how are we differentiating different music platforms from each other or different TV, video, film platforms from each other, when you focus on attention, you start to realize they're all competing with each other. You know, like we're competing with everything, which actually was a seismic shift trading card, how music's competing with everything that we called it in 2019 um, on, on that topic. I don't know. It's so general and vague. You're like, yeah, he really <laughs> called that one. Yeah, they, they really called that. that there will one. be an earthquake sometime. Yes. You know, oh, oh, shoot. I hope I'm not making. She called up. it. <laughs> <laughs> OK, um, Trisha, I'm glad you brought up the um, the thing about Facebook and podcasts, because at the same time, they also um, just uh, kind of abandoned a partnership with Spotify where you could listen to full tracks of music as yes. well at the yeah. same time, which is related to the next article that I'm going to present, which I'll um, chat to our live listeners here. Um, so HypeBot, as you might know, publishes a ton of content. It's actually hard to keep up with all the content. And... Um, this time, I didn't see this particular reference anywhere else, which is why I decided to, to choose it. It's called YouTube, Spotify, Others Expand Fan Tipping. It's not a very, uh, uh, you know, glamorous, uh, contagious type of headline, but it's very direct. And they talk about YouTube super thanks being expanded to more um, to more tipping, which is a... Um, which is yeah, which is uh, expand, expanding what they were already doing with with how people could tip creators there. But it mentions that Spotify fan support um, has the, is the new name. It's it, of what Spotify called it, artist fundraising pick, which. I think it started out as a fundraising pick, but then artists started using it for the tipping function. You want to fundraise? Why don't you fundraise for us? Which is kind of funny to do on Spotify. But now it's called fan support and it has more than 200,000 artists using it. And they go on to mention, you know, things about the, the Twitch being a pioneer in that kind of fan support. Bands in Town now has that a support button. Bandzoogle and mentions some other places as well. But I was particularly interested in Spotify. And um, because we've seen so many different attempts of Spotify to try different ways to either engage listeners, uh, engage listeners, you know, from artist perspective, um, or monetize in other ways to help artists sell tickets, help artists um, sell merch. It's oftentimes been pretty far down the stream. I think they're worried about not kind of burning people out from too many offers. Um, but it reminds me even going back to, I think it was like 2010 when Apple... Uh, had something called Ping, P-I-N-G, which is their social music platform. And they pulled the plug very quickly. And I think in some ways it was very Apple not to go down the <laughs> rabbit hole of algorithms and collecting lots of data on their um, users other than their credit cards. And, um, and uh, but, but it's just as uh, when, when that article came out, it was really small. It was not like a big news hit across the entire industry, but it made me think, is tipping the thing that's going to, it, it was proven outside of places like music streaming services in video. Is that the thing that's going to bring in a different type of engagement and monetization in with, uh, with the streaming services? And so even though it's kind of a small thing, wasn't a big news hit, I thought it was kind of interesting. Like, is it a breakthrough moment? Is it? And I've heard some artists push back on terms like tipping because it feels like the music itself doesn't have value and you're just like kind of tossing them some chump change for like putting on a nice show at the bar. Um, and, you know, there's, you know, I, I understand that perspective. Like that is that 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 terminology may not be what we in, ultimately want to land in. It's just kind of like this extra thing instead of actually putting value on, on the artist's work. Uh, but bringing in these more monetized relationships to places like Spotify, if they can make it work, if they, if it takes off, 
it'll be a very different dynamic compared to just the sort of little buried store that they have where I can buy like pink, a pink vinyl version of like perfume geniuses single or whatever. So, um, I want that. Yeah. I, I, that would, would be wear pretty, that. pretty darn cool. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it, that I, I have yet, I'm sure there are people out there and please like shout out in the chat if you've ever bought something via Spotify, but I don't know. I've never heard someone be like, Oh yeah, I got this thing. I got this cool t-shirt on Spotify from my favorite band or something. But, um, yeah. It, the other thing that we ta we've talked about in the past is about the fragmentation of the the music space. And because all the platforms have kind of channelized or siloed the listening experience separate from the rest of the music experience, separate from the the collecting, the the, the record store experience, separate from the fan engagement and so forth, that it's created a disconnection between fans and artists. And that's really mm -hmm. why I, I picked it, the, the, the article, because to me, it's like, oh, it's, a, it's an opening. Uh, mm -hmm. It's like opening a little door or window of like, oh, well, we put that back together. So we nothing like this existed or worked well in a Spotify or Apple Music type setting. And, and Apple Music's probably even less so than Spotify. But Patreon came to exist and it was actually founded by an artist who wanted to create this micro patronage subscription type model for artists because it couldn't exist inside a streaming service that wasn't working. That wasn't their business model. And it didn't really take off for music for Patreon at first. It took off for like graphic novelists and uh, journalists and writers. And uh, I don't know if there's another category there, but then they doubled down and as things evolved in the music space now they're starting to see some some of that there too but it makes me wonder when will there be a streaming service that has subscriptions as well um audius the streaming service talked about how you know they're they're prepared to help artists sell nfts for example so there's these other oops i said it <laughs> <laughs> cover the children's ears if you're if you're playing along at home, you can take a drink now. <laughs> well, I think that it's just exciting. I think that for mid-sized artists or for just artists who aren't like huge, it opens up this like avenue on this huge platform for like another stream of income and just like another avenue for artists to fan engagement. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, by the way, we're gonna. We're, I did say NFT, so we now have to talk about Trisha's article pick. But before we do th this conversation that Trisha brought up, and we're seeing in our chat in our live event it, uh, about the term tipping, I thought Amanda Palmer kind of her mm -hmm. TED talk and her whole world was sort of like saying it's okay to to ask in a way. And yeah, but mm. <laughs> well, one mm -hmm. one thing <laughs> I found really interesting is how Spotify is not choosing the kind of gamified Twitch style tipping. Mm. Um, whereas YouTube's new um, sort of tipping feature, the, the um, what are they calling it? Super thanks. Super, yeah. um, does lean into that sort of almost competitive um, nature idea for tipping where it's like you get your comment highlighted, you get closer, um, you get closer to your artist, you get a special animation, whereas Spotify is calling it fan support rather than uh, sort of, you know, um, leaning into the fan experience. It's leaning into the idea that we want to, you know, give support to artists. Yeah, I, I like the the fact that the culture is built in. So there's no mm -hmm. we don't have like I listen to a track and I tip the artist who made it culture mm -hmm. um, built into our behavior around music. But we can respond to like, oh, that guy, he out tipped me. I'm going to out tip him. Like that's mm -hmm. a human impulse. You can, um, you know, you yeah. can harness pretty well. Monetizing that first comment energy. <laughs> <laughs> it, it reminds me when we 
rock, paper, scissors was doing a lot of PR for African artists about the, the spraying, which is where you're actually throwing or pasting to sweaty foreheads, dollar bills, $20 bills, hundred dollar bills. And it's just that, that was the form of, of patronage, but <laughs> we've got more articles to go on to Tristra. Yes. Tell us about the one you picked out. Well, mine isn't exactly an article. It's a podcast. So yes, we're podcasting about podcasting, which is fantastically meta. Um, but this is an, an interview with Justin Blau, who is one of the main um, pioneers in the NFT music space. He's been into crypto and NFTs for many, many a year. And he explains all this on the podcast if you want to hear about his his journey to crypto. Um, one, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there um, that's going to come across as pretty pretty standard for a lot of us who've been following the conversation. But one thing that he did bring up that is something that I think is really worth exploring. Well, it's actually two things. The first thing is this idea of digital scarcity and how um, we kind of can, thought that was just like baked in to NFTs, that digital scarcity was just this automatic thing that would work for anything you could put on chain. And his perspective was not really. And the reason is the second point I thought was super interesting, which is behavior. And when we talk about utility, what we're actually talking about, and even community, we're talking about human behavior. And one thing that he points out is that things need to be, he, I think he loves this word, skewmorphic. He's I like a skewmorphic fanboy. I, like, I was like, dude, you really, really dig this word. And what he means by that, at least in when it comes to behavior, what, the way I interpreted it was you want to create uh, uh, something via NFTs or via, the, via blockchain, Web3, whatever the heck we're going to call it, that conforms to existing behaviors. So for instance, no one's going to pay $1,000 to listen to an MP3. However, someone will pay $1,000 to own that special magical thing that shows that it shows their fandom that they can exhibit for their identity, that makes them part of a community, that makes them a supporter of someone whose work has influenced their lives. All of those kind of the collector instinct, um, for example, or the speculator instinct when it comes to uh, some aspects of NFTs are, are coming into play. And one question I had as I was listening to that is what I think is most exciting about new formats is the new behaviors that they get sparked. So I feel like as a music tech community, it'd be really fun over the next, you know, 15 minutes, uh, 15 months to have a conversation <laughs> about what behaviors we would like to spark besides making more money, right? Like going deeper into like, how, how would people interact with these new formats? What, what would happen if we really got imaginative and uh, got a little sci-fi and thought about how could we build a future? Oh, sci-fi. Sorry. All right, guys, I'm sorry. That was, that always felt like an inside joke, but, um, um, but seriously, um, I I mean, I'm really looking forward to people stop like to going deeper, but be up beneath this idea of quote unquote utility to looking at how people actually make use of music. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I'm interested in this because I think kind of hit, hidden beneath this conversation about um, NFTs, yes or no, um, is really the question of well, how do we uh, bring back what people really want from music as it's been siloed, as we talked about some of the other articles, there's these other pieces that are missing. And I think in a way, NFTs and some of the Web3 concepts are basically saying, let's strip out what the format is 
and let's talk about what the relationship is. That there's this exchange of of money for value, but then what do you get from it? Sure, it started with the collectibles side of things, but when you get to the decentralized organizations, you start to get into a situation where you're you're buying access to a relationship, but the relationship is is more equitable in a way. It's more there's more of a, of a give and take and a back and forth. And the real issue for me in the controversy of, and in, within the music industry about NFTs is it's not really about the technology, right? Mm-hmm. The technology is just optimizing this. And at the moment, it feels like an insider outsider thing. Like if you don't know enough about crypto, if you don't have a wallet, if you're not willing to be speculative um, in in buying and reselling tokens, it feels sort of like it's like an investment club that you're like, yeah, I'm not going to buy any of that. Like I'm not interested. (laughs) Or, you know, it's been so some of the quote art that's come out first has such a uh, you could say playful, but you also might say trivial. Specific vibe. It's a yeah. specific vibe that's that's flowing from the interests of a specific community that is flush now with with money that can only be spent on that specific vibe. So and, it's a weird moment. And so, and so what I'm getting at is it's easy to criticize it because of that, but then you might lose sight of the actual larger conversation of what it could lead to. And my sense is that regardless of how you feel about that vibe, the crypto bro concept or, um, or, or that inside outside group or how technical you have to be to be even able to understand or what kind of risks or what kind of money you have to have to do it to then step back and say, well, what if it didn't have all of the semantics and slang and special technical knowledge to do the exchange, what is possible at that point? And that's where I think um, we're going to go. And I'm, I'm not an early adopter of a lot of tech in my personal life. Like I want to make sure it's going to be solid because I've already bought so many Kickstarters or Indiegogos that never panned out. The credit card that was a single credit card that held all your credit card information because that <laughs> digital chip and it didn't work a single freaking time. Like not once. It's oh, like, man. Oh, you don't really, you know, like, so I wait and see See, see if it's going to work. And I kind of feel that way about this. Like I see where it's going. I'm really intrigued by, um, about where this is going to go. And I'm, I'm ready for the folks that are making it more accessible to more people. Anyway. Well, and the, the market is kind of speaking right now that was in that, you know, I think the wall street journal today had an article that was like, NFTs are flatlining. You know, it's pretty, pretty clear mm-hmm. what, what the, um, data I think is from non-fungible, which is a, a research, uh, organization, but, and it has, the market has, has gone way down. The activity in wallets has gone way down, but the interesting thing is I think this is really gives us a chance to do what you're saying, Dimitri, and to take like a breather and look at this and say, like, what do we want this to do? Um, you know, I'm also really skeptical of the word community because I think it sounds very shallow the way we're defining it so far. And that also goes back to human behavior, like it and human communities can be toxic, <laughs> as we've discovered from social media. So how are we how do we want to proceed from here? Like this is, this is a great opportunity when things are at sort of their nadir to to really talk about this seriously. And I think the the, this is, the people gathered here today are the kind of people who can have this conversation in a fruitful way. So we maybe have time for one more article, <laughs> maybe a, a quick last round um, to stay on schedule. Eleanor, share us, share the one. Sure, that you just uh, um, uh, this is kind of a springboard, really. Uh, this is a piece in TechCrunch about how Snap is partnering live with Live Nation to launch AR experiences at concerts and festivals. Now, um, it really got me thinking about all of the different AR slash live uh, use cases we've seen. And it just seems like a really creative, um, experimental time. And I'm really excited to see how this pans out. Now, in this case, they're talking about using the snap camera on your phone when you're at a live venue. 
So you'll be experiencing, they, they say you could try on merch using the virtual camera, but also, you know, adding to the experience when you're actually on the floor. Um, so that's really for concert goers, but we just saw at Coachella, the, um, a little bit of AR experience added on top of the con- of the live stream concert experience for the viewers on YouTube. So when um, electric artist, electronic artist uh, Flume was doing their set, um, uh, viewers at home saw enormous birds kind of springing off of the video screens around the stage and like you know, sort of looming over the audience. But of course, audiences at Coachella didn't see that. That was just for viewers at home. So we got this interesting expansion of experience for um, live stream viewers. Um, And then uh, we've also seen, you know, the beginning of fully immersive VR concert experiences like Megan Thee Stallion's Amaze VR tour. Um, So we're just seeing kind of every point of the spectrum of combining uh, AR, VR, and live experiences. And I can't wait to see where it goes next. I mean, back in 2020, we were talking a lot about, you know, will music finally join sports in having right. like there's an in-person experience and then there's a broadcast experience of some kind. And the the adding value to the broadcast experience makes it to me seem much more like a viable proposition mm-hmm. as opposed to just like, oh, here's kind of a, I mean, you know, multi-camera kind of live streams can be super cool and the sound can be better and you can actually see things. Whereas if you had a distant seat in an arena show, you may have a very different feeling of the, of the performance. But um, I think the, the kind of stuff like I heard about from Coachella was really, really, really interesting. And I think it was because Epic has gotten That's right. involved it was in Epic, things. It, it was Epic making Games, a music play. Unreal yeah. Engine that yeah. powered that, uh, that um, uh, um, augmented reality. Unreal and yeah. Unity are unlocking so much mm-hmm. like amazingly cool creative mm-hmm. stuff. And that's like, we're just at the and beginning. stepping much further into the music space. And then that's mm-hmm. another, that's another yeah. trend I'm really interested in watching. All right, cool. Well, I'll just wait <laughs> to see if Shaylee wanted to say anything about this. <laughs> now, it is it is interesting to see like what else, um, what other new formats are emerging based in new spaces. And sometimes, if you're in the traditional music industry um, where you expect a certain format of the the recorded music, um, the music video, the single, the EP, the streaming service, the gated email, you know, all, all that kind of stuff, you kind of are saying, well, none of this stuff, it, you know, it's not the same. This is, nobody cares about any of this stuff, but then you jump in, um, you know, to another world, like a, a Roblox or, or a Snap or something like that. And you say, well, actually, there's a whole other user community that wants to experience things totally differently. And that's where it gets kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah, I just, I also think they just shouldn't necessarily be compared to one another and they should just be looked at as two completely separate experiences. Um, Especially just because of like some of the quality, like the amazing quality, like experiences you can get from a virtual experience versus some larger live concerts that just feel like really impersonal or like lack good sound quality. binoculars to see. Or, it. Yeah, or, yeah. The, the music experience, the audio experience isn't really why you go there. So right. Coachella, no one's really going there to listen. All right, there's maybe 10% is going to listen to music. Let's be honest. The other people are going to wear jumpsuits um, and be in really, really like miserable conditions. Um, most of them. Now, um, if for anyone who loves Coachella, I'm sorry. I don't, this, don't take it personally. Um, but one cool thing that I did note, and I have some evidence that proves my point, which is Chartmetric did a really cool analysis analysis of um, art, the artists performing at Coachella's socials before and after their mm. performance. And it really didn't move the needle at all, at least on social media, for the overwhelming majority of artists. So 
makes you think like what are people really going there to do yeah. they're going least... there to have an experience exactly. with people who like the same music and the same jumpsuits and the same <laughs> beverages yeah. but it, I, I, I would not discount that community experience of music that is a long-held thing and yeah and, no uh, i'm not discounting that i'm just saying coachella in particular may not right. be the best i mean there are other festivals where that may play out very differently you could look at socials and see different data but i thought the chart metric observation they were looking really hard they're like yeah this really didn't really do anything <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, <laughs> All right. Well, those are the articles that we picked out just to share with uh, with the podcast audience, with our live audience. If you missed out, if you're listening to the podcast and you missed out on this live experience, the chat was going crazy. We're about to jump into some speed networking. We do all sorts of cool stuff uh, on the seismic activities for Music Tectonics. Go to musictectonics.com. Sign up for our newsletter. That way you'll be informed the next time we do an event like this. And, and let us know also if you like hearing a live event, a live recorded podcast. We're actually going to be recording some more events this year live, uh, maybe not with an audience, but one-on-one -on -one as we go out into the music industry. And also check out the conference. <laughs> the Music Tectonics Conference is taking place October 25th through 27th in Santa Monica. It's going to be in person. There is no hybrid event for our conference. This is the hybrid part that we're recording in advance. If you want <laughs> to experience the real conference, you got to be there. You got to get to San Santa Monica. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be on the beach. We've rented a carousel. We've rented rooftops. We're going to have all sorts of fun. Hey, Shaylee, Eleanor, Tristra, this was fun. Yeah. yeah. So fun. Let's do it again sometime. Eleanor here. I want to thank you personally for listening to the 200th episode of Music Tectonics. If you're a new listener, I hope you'll hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Stay with us for the next 200 episodes of music innovation interviews, news, and super sci-fi future vision. Extra warm thanks to everyone who participated in our live event. We couldn't make this podcast or hold great events without our community of music tech innovators and aficionados. That's why we're giving you a chance to win a free badge to our October conference in the Los Angeles area. We're using a viral marketing platform built for musicians to engage with their fans. This is your chance to try it out as a user and help us spread the word. Enter the competition at our website, musictectonics.com, and follow the instructions to share our message. Follow our socials and refer your friends. Everything you do will score you points. Earn enough points, and you could win a free conference badge or a deep discount. Competition ends Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. Musictectonics.com is also where you'll find show notes so you can dig into the articles we discussed in this episode. While you're there, check out the latest news about our annual conference and sign up for our newsletter to get updates in your inbox. Everything we do explores the seismic shifts that shake up music and technology, the way that Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Find more on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and connect with the Music Tectonics team on LinkedIn. Bye-bye. You're listening to Music Tectonics.